happening, people? Back for another week. Thanksgiving week is coming. So that means for many people, certainly where I grew up, more holiday football, family, food. That's the trifecta. And given that there's such tradition with sports and Thanksgiving, and it is early in the college, high school, even pro basketball, wherever you are, I wanted to spend some time on sports in this episode. Because when you think about school and educational institutions, sports really do play a major part. I have certainly been involved in sports my whole life. I grew up a swimmer. Contrary to popular opinion, when people would take one look at me, I indeed was a swimmer, not a basketball player, not something else. And swimming was something that gave me a sense of identity in that I was and student athlete in the truest sense of the word. My parents would have it no other way. It gave me a, an affirmation in school because of talents and the way that sports is looked at. On the largest scale, sports enhance the brand of educational institutions because when a school has a great athletics program, there are more people who can come under the tent. You know, not only do people in the school community like to enjoy a quality sports event, people outside the school community will often flock to and support a great sports program. Doesn't even really matter the sport. You can go through history and look at cases where, whether it was football, basketball, baseball, Girls, boys, doesn't matter. If the team was great, people rallied to support. So sports really help educational institutions in that way. On the other end, great sports programs help people stay connected to the school. So if you are someone who has gone to high school, you have been a participant on a sports team, and you graduate, you know, that sports team, that program, becomes something that keeps you connected to the school you are invested in. You want to see it continue to do well. Or if it wasn't good when you were there, you want to see it get better and do well. So you may be inclined when you graduate to come back and support an athletics program financially to keep it going, to keep it strong. So sports, because of the entertainment value, the place and importance that we put on it in society, and think about it from a TV perspective, sports are these great unscripted reality events that we all love, so they generate great amounts of revenue on TV. So they have a cool factor that really helps elevate a school. There's no more better example of that than the impact we talked about on a previous episode of Deion Sanders going to University of Colorado and what his early success in the season meant for that school in terms of who was showing up to support 
and what that meant for their visibility, being placed on national games, what that has meant for their free advertising, being on those national games. I'm sure that we will find that their admissions applications and interest rose. I'm sure that we will find that even in this first year where they're not even going to be that good at the University of Colorado football, that their advancement and their financial aid fundraising has gone up. So sports really play an important role of school. And so knowing that when you are a family who's involved in sports, you have to have your eyes wide open in terms of how you engage that landscape because there is so much money in sports. It is not just about a family, you know, pursuing an athletic scholarship. There is real money in sports. Student athletes can now get paid for their name, image, and likeness as early as high school. And so it really does change the math and the geography on how educational institutions move and then families have to move as well. So we'll get into that a little bit more. Let me just take a break, catch my breath. We'll be back on Taking Notes. So we're back and we're talking sports this week on Taking Notes. And so I want to continue on the idea of educational institutions and their relationships with sports. And I want to do a little bit of compare and contrast when it comes to the landscape these days and point out a couple of things and then some lessons that I've learned as a sports parent now compared to my own days and what my parents navigated when I was a student athlete. The first is that when it comes to educational institutions themselves, it used to be exclusively that the sports fit within kind of the traditional school concept. Sports is an extracurricular activity. It is meant to supplement and complement what happens during the school day when you are learning your core subjects, you're reading your math, your history, science, so forth and so on. And so with the rise and availability of online education, you have seen a shift in that, or at least an extension of what the school concept is to where there are many more, you could call them kindly, you know, athletic conservatories, right? That will be in the vein of your dance or your music conservatories. Um, in the worst light, you call them athletic warehouses in that there is some minimal level of schooling going on. And then the rest is just training and pursuing the sport. And so this is an interesting phenomenon because again, with the shifting of how institutions are created and their focus and their mission, families have to therefore be aware and understand the difference and go into it eyes wide open. When my parents, again, compare and contrast, when my parents were picking schools for me and my siblings, yes, our extracurriculars, we were a swimming family, played into it, but there was an understanding of the quality of education. That was never in dispute. These days, that's a real thing. Some of these institutions are not fully becoming accredited. 
And so even if you have talented young people going to these institutions and ideally developing their skills in whatever the sport may be, basketball, football, baseball, whatever the case, some of these places are not doing what they need to do to make sure that these students can move on to the next institution because they have not done what needs to be done on the academic side. And I have a great problem with that because then you're taking the dream that families have of earning a scholarship so that a student might better themselves either through a university education or taking advantage of, you know, a university opportunity to, you know, go pro in a given sport and you are giving them short shrift, you are cutting corners. So I think it's very important that families understand the types of institutions that they get involved with. The second piece going along with that is just the level of recruitment that goes into placement in a school these days. And this is going to give you a preview to probably what part two of my, my sports talk would be in that families are now making more decisions in terms of when they place their students into a school, how they place their students into a school. You know, do I reclass backwards? Do I reclass forward? All of that is now in play. And so if you are a family of a student athlete, you have to consider that landscape when you are looking around at the competition that your student is up against. You see all these videos on the internet now, particularly if you follow certain sports, where because of the movement and how families are placing their children in school, you know, you can have middle schoolers, quote unquote, six, seven, eighth graders who are far more developed physically than their counterparts. Because when it comes to some of these sports, when the tournaments are put together, they are put together and categorized by grade, not necessarily by age. And so when you think about this in terms of recruiting, you can have, for example, someone who graduates high school kind of at a normal, I would say late 16, you know, to early 18 age, certainly in the case when I was in school not too many years ago, to now there are students who are leaving high school at 19 and almost 20 because of how they have engaged. And this is before we even talk about, you know, a gap or a prep year that a student might take. So it all becomes very important things to think about as you enter into the sports parenting or student athlete journey. A couple of the lessons that I've learned, and again, context. My oldest is a junior, so we are very much in the weeds on the recruiting trail. And I have to take a moment to just say how thankful I am that no matter the sport that we've been involved in, and we have tried them all, that was a lesson that I learned early on, the need to specialize before I would say late middle school, early high school is not so great. And if you can even continue to have students play multiple sports through high school, there's no hurt in that. Specialize when and if you have to, not because somebody necessarily tells you to. 
make that be a family decision. But I've received great counsel from parents who've been willing to share their lessons along the way. And so this is my way to pay some of that great counsel and wisdom forward because it has kept me sane in arenas where, because there is so much misinformation, that's a popular word, about what is the right path that you can really become stressed out and anxious trying to figure out if you're doing the right things for your child to support their dreams. Lesson number one, at the end of the day, development wins. At the end of the day, developing your student athlete and their skill set is going to win much more than exposure. I give you the perfect example of what I'm talking about. Forget all of the bombast of LeVar Ball and all the never lost and all the interviews and beating Michael Jordan, all that. When you look strictly at how he created an environment where his three sons could all develop their skills and talents for basketball and not worry about all the exposure, which people will tell you is necessary to get to the next level. He did it right. He wasn't worried about being on the best AAU team. He wasn't worried about who was giving away, you know, free uniforms and sneakers and could hook them up with a deal. He took the lead in making sure that his kids developed in a way that ultimately they would be found by the top programs, and they were, and they could land in the, in the places that they needed to be if their goal, which it was, was to be professional athletes. And on all three of his sons, they all have had professional opportunities. So skill, de skill development wins the day over exposure. If you are dealing with a finite set of funds and resources, and it's a matter of do I pay extra to be an ex each showcase that comes along or this tournament and or you know be spending all my money to be on this quote unquote high profile team that money is much better spent maybe being on a lesser profile team and organization for the sake of very good development lesson number one lesson number two Given all that's going on in the sports world these days, sport, especially with student athletes, you cannot, as a parent, give over that journey, that, that, that path, and the agency over making decisions to someone else. Don't care if it's a trusted coach. Don't care if it's a, a mentor. Parents have to take it upon themselves to do their own studying, to do their own research, talk to people, ask all the questions so that they can make informed decisions for their kids because there are definitely people out there, no matter the sport, who are willing to say and do whatever it is to take advantage of talents of a child. At the end of the day, College athletics is about programs doing what they need to do to win and be successful because, as I already said, that feeds, you know, a financial machine that helps keep the institution going. So families have to do what is in their best interest to participate in what, at best, 
is a mutualistic partnership. Family is going to benefit from the resources that the school provides, and the school is going to benefit from the talent of the student. Final thing, and then we'll wrap this up and get into our guests for today. You have to continue to check in to make sure that the student athlete wants it. It is not easy these days to land and make the journey for youth sports. Let's say a student athlete starts it at 10. The journey from 10 to 18, when they ideally graduate high school and go to college and, and would be playing a sport, is not easy and is super competitive. And then you take it up a couple more notches if they're going to continue the journey and participate in collegiate sports. So as a family, you have to be checking in to make sure that the student wants it. And then as they get older, that they're willing to take on the mantle and the responsibility of leading that journey. If you're still having to get the child up when they're in high school to do the extra, because everybody's going to have to find some way to do the extra, then they may not want it as much. And you let them know that it's okay if they don't. But it's not going to be a thing where parents force it, because if you're forcing it, you're only going to fester resentment in that child. And that's not what you want when you ultimately have to look across the dinner table at each other. So those are three quick ones. Again, we're going to spend some more time on athletics because there is so much to talk about. But I just wanted to get some initial thoughts out there. We have a great guest coming right up after this break. All right, welcome back to Taking Notes with Dr. John Carroll. We are happy to have a guest in office hours this week who's written a new book. It is called Unveiled, Questions to Ask College Coaches. Uh, it hits home for me as a parent of a student athlete say, currently navigating the recruiting process. Uh, and this young man did it very well from the Ivy League at Brown to the Mountain West and Nevada to finishing up in the Big West, averaging 16, reba 16 points, 10 rebounds uh, at UC Santa Barbara. Welcome Leland King II uh, to Office Hours. How are you today, sir? I'm great, John. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Man, it's a pleasure. And I appreciate you for this, this book, this resource that you have written. Uh, because as I mentioned, I am a current sports parent. I have a junior navigating uh, the recruiting process. And it's one of those things that not only do you not have, have a handbook, but you know the, the landscape is, is always changing. So for you to write something that gives uh, students and their families a, you know, a path is a, is a valuable resource. I want to start with what made you decide to you know, put fingers to type you know, and, and you know, make this happen? Well, a lot of it is just hearing about the portal, what's going on, how many kids are transferring and it was actually for me the comments those kids were getting because um, I felt like kids were 
getting a lot of flack or just getting a lot of criticism for leaving the school. But I don't think a lot of people knew what was actually going on within those schools and what grown adults are telling kids in order to get them in those schools. So I felt compelled to write a story or even my story. So at the beginning, the book was going to be about my transfer story. But then I thought about it. I'm like, you know, this isn't really about me. This is about the kids. And instead of just telling the story, let me put down some words of paper to help them avoid what I had to go through. And, um, and so first it started, it was going to start as a memoir, which I may still do, but um, more importantly, so I thought, okay, let me get a list of questions for these kids to help them best as possible. I love it. And very helpful. So right off, I want to start with, you know, one of the first questions you asked, which is let's talking about money, right? So many students and their families, you know, are, endeavor for a scholarship when they get to the end of the recruiting road and you you know very keenly point out to have parents ask what does that even look like um because as you noted in the three places you went it looks something you know that money went spread very differently depending on where you were let me start with how did you first come to make your decision to end up at brown you know what what stuck out for you there that made you feel comfortable for that as your first stop I mean, that was, like, I think a pretty obvious one. It's just that it's an Ivy League school. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, education has always been big for me. Um, my main goal was to make it to the NBA and play professional mm -hmm. basketball. But along the way, my parents stressed the importance of education. So, and I figured, like, I just talking to different coaches growing up and how that process worked for them and, like, what to look for. If you're good enough to play at that level, they're going to find you. So I figured... I have offers from an Ivy League school. Um, had other offers that were pretty good, but you can't really beat an Ivy League. I'm, if I'm good enough, I'll make it. And I know I have the brain to do the schooling. So it wasn't, I really didn't have to think too much about it after it came to me. I remember my junior year is just more like, you know, you want to go to the biggest basketball school, but then I just had conversations with family and even friends. And it was just pretty easy to pick Brown. Absolutely. And you had success there. This wasn't like you got there and then you didn't have an opportunity mm -hmm. uh, your second year there. You averaging double digits. Again, you're you're a double double guy. Um, what made you decide? I want to I want to look at different pastures. Um, so there is actually pretty interesting. Um, it was going well for me or decently well for me from a basketball standpoint. But the coaching uh, wasn't great. Uh, for me, it just, mm -hmm. and it wasn't more so about the playing time or anything else. It was how I was being treated as a person. Um, mm -hmm. And I felt like just in that situation at that school, it was more, you're in an Ivy League, you're not going to go anywhere, opposed to let's get the best out of our players. So, and I could do it a lot, but disrespect isn't one of them. And I played with a lot of different coaches and coaches that yell and coaches that scream and coaches that do whatever, but this is a little bit different. And I knew for me and my mental health that I needed to go elsewhere and, and not like I wasn't um, a tough kid or whatever the case may be. It was just that it was blatant what was going on. Um, so that was something that I'm like, okay, maybe I have to leave and continue elsewhere. And let me dig into that a little bit further, right? Cause you talk about questions to ask, how do you find as a, how did you find as a young person 
the agency to be able to even speak up against, you know, adults who are controlling, you know, in many ways, your future, certainly from an athletic standpoint, how did you, you know, strategize to be able to communicate and then, you know, exit that situation? Well, it all starts with your parents and the support you mm. give them, right? So even growing up, um, my parents always made me take accountability for my wrongdoings or if I wasn't living up to what I need to do. I remember playing on teams when I was younger and I didn't play and I would complain. And if I sucked, they would be like, well, you didn't play great. Like, I wouldn't have played you either. But if I was playing well and I was doing what I was supposed to do and something like that wasn't happening, they would have my back. So just parents that actually hold you accountable, but not to the point where the adult is always right because sometimes the kid is right, right? And sometimes adults are wrong. And my parents were good at recognizing that and letting me know when I was wrong and when they were wrong. And I don't think they ever stepped out of bounds as far as just to protect me. They always want to protect me, right? But they always let me know that if you're right, if you're doing the right thing, we're going to have your back. If you're not, don't look at us for help. Um, You're going to have to do the right thing and figure that out yourself. So that's really what it was. And so I carried that with me. And I always knew that if I was doing the right thing, if I'm working hard, if I'm being a good kid, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and somebody's treating me wrong, you just know that it's time for you to say something. And whatever the case may be, no matter what that person has in their hand for you, because a lot of times people hold that over your head, like, oh, I can give you this, or I can give you that, and they treat you however they want. I was never that person to fall into that, no matter what you have for me. So having that and having that confidence is what led me to believe to make my own decisions. And I really believe that I made really thoughtful, good decisions whether my college decision to go to an Ivy League school and my college decision to leave an Ivy League school. Uh, those were my decisions. My parents didn't sway me either way. They said, pick where you want to go. And they trusted that I was going to make the best decision for myself and my future. And I ultimately did. And then, you you know, you move on. So you hit the Mountain West. You hit up University of Nevada. Who was the coach there at the time when you left? Is it Musselman? Yeah, Musselman was the coach. So as you are deciding to leave, you know, what, as you survey the landscape again, you're out on the recruiting trail again, uh, led you to pick that over. I'm sure you had other options. Yeah. So that was an interesting one. I, um, Muscleman, great recruiter, um, and ultimately I, a great coach. Um, we can get more into that story there. But, uh, yeah, so when he was recruiting me, he was – he was laying out everything for me, right? He told me my strengths. He told me my weaknesses. He told me how we can get your weaknesses better or even hide them and the strengths, how we can keep building on the strength and what the program has and has to offer. Uh, So a lot of that, a lot of that really got me because, you know, I I wanted to play in the NBA. So I was looking at it. I'm like, okay, this guy can get me there. He's been there. He's seen it. He can get me there. He can show me the way. So this is a no brainer. And then obviously, leaving this Ivy League school, my only deal with my parents was, like, you can leave this Ivy League, but you just got to get a master's. So uh, that was on the table as well. And I was like, oh, it's a no-brainer. I have friends and family that actually went there too. So, like, at the time. So it was it was a nice time. Let me pick up on, on, on something you said in terms of Coach Musselman. How big was the idea that he had been in the league? He had uh, coached in the NBA at that point and was now – you know, breaking things down for you. 
um, and clearly, you know, painting a picture where he could get you to where you wanted to go. How big was that in the decision process? And do you think that that's something that really resonates with student athletes when they're looking at, you know, college programs? Yeah, I think it was everything. Um, just because you can tell you knew what he was talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And as a kid, you're just going to have to trust him. Like if, some, if a coach been there and he coaches the best, like, I mean, who else could you really learn from? Right. Um, so that was really that. Like, I just trusted that he knew what he was talking about. And the effort he put into recruiting was also great. So it was an easy, easy uh, answer for me. And he continues to do it well. I mean, he has turned Arkansas into a, a destination. So mm-hmm. the, the proof I, is in the pudding in terms of his uh, his ability to pull players wherever he is. Mm-hmm. And so just to say to wrap up the story, you end up in the Big West, a great conference, UCSB. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly a, a lovely place to spend your college career. Um, sunny California uh, in Santa Barbara. What... Uh, you know, it seemed production-wise that that was one of your most productive spots. What allowed for that even over being with someone who'd been in the NBA, as we just spoke about? Well, so, well, so with Muscleman, I actually learned a ton. Um, looking back now as an older man, uh, I learned a lot about life playing with him. Um, Simply because I know he's one that always respected my work ethic and what I was trying to do, how often I was in the gym. I was in the gym like crazy. And he always respected that, always brought it to light. But that was a spot that I didn't play too much at, right? So that was a place where it was confusing because I'm doing well in practice. And, you know, when I play, I play well. or But I wasn't getting the time and whatever the case may be. But that's where you start to really understand that sometimes it's really about fit. And your environment sometimes you have to change your environment to get the best out of what you want and like what you value and who you are. Like, it's especially after being at a school like Brown playing for a coach who didn't treat you well and really disrespected you versus, um, the Nevada, but I played a lot, right. Versus a Nevada, mm-hmm. a coach where always respected me, always talked highly of me. And, um, but I didn't play that much. And obviously I was upset at the time and, you know, I think there's some things could have been better and I think some things could have went a lot differently, but um, it was nice to be recognized for your work ethic and, but also know that, it's, especially looking back, like, you know, sometimes it doesn't fit. And not saying that I couldn't play with that team or my teammates didn't want me to play or whatever the case may be. It was just that, you know, he saw something different and what I saw in Coach Musselman was excellence every day. Um, this wasn't a guy who just didn't want to play just because he didn't want to play. And like, I'm not saying he couldn't have, or he shouldn't have, but what I'm saying is that he didn't feel like it was in his best interest all the time for the team to play. And like, when you see a guy who just wants to win, you start to understand what winning really takes. And you see like he's doing in Arkansas. There's no, that's no accident. He just, he takes it so seriously and it's not an accident and he may have some faults. But at the same time, he's a good coach and he just wants to win. And you know it's nothing personal with him. So seeing that, I grew a lot as a player, as a kid, as a person. And I was able to take that with me into Santa Barbara and knowing that I was just in a better situation. And it worked out for me and Mm -hmm. it worked out for the team and it worked out for the coach. Like we all 
we had a good, I, I had a good situation there. And um, you see that, and again, being an adult, I'm sure you went through it at a point, like you see that it, it doesn't always fit how you think or work how you think or mean anything's wrong with you or anything like that sort. It's just more so, hey, this is life. Some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. But that shouldn't change your work ethic and how you approach things because you have to evaluate and see where you're going to be the best at. And that could be anywhere. And there's plenty of opportunities for you. Yeah. And so that's when I want to, I want to, you know, finish on your, on your journey piece, mm-hmm. looking back, if you were to be a consultant in it, and I, you know, you have a great job now, but if you ever wanted to, I definitely feel like there'd be room for you given how you wrote about your experience to, to help, um, student athletes and their families. If you were to give them the one piece, like they're going on these visits that they get, they get a five, you know, what is the top thing that you would say they have to look for or be able to suss out in order to understand fit at a place? Because again, a coach and their staff is just going to tell you all the things that you think that they think you want to hear in order to get you to go there. Mm-hmm. But what is it? What does a student and their family need to know? Um, and be able to figure out in order to understand fit. I don't think you'll ever be able to understand fit um, mm. just based off what coaches are telling you. Um, unless you watch a lot of their film and a lot of what they're doing. Like I, no. at Santa Barbara, I was understand. Like I was told that, you know, they play through the four a lot and that's how the system was run. And I watched some film and I found out a little bit. I believed it. I wasn't sure. Um, but at the end of the day, I saw that campus, um, I saw what the team record was before. And it was like, if I couldn't play there, then it wasn't meant to be anyways. But at the end of the day, I know I'll get my master's degree. I'll be playing at home and I'm at UC Santa Barbara. So I made that decision. Yes. Based off basketball and because the coaches recruited me hard. So I think that you can look at that, like how hard the coaches recruit you, but even then some coaches mm-hmm. are just great recruiters. Um, but passionate. He did a great job of recruiting me, talking to me and like, you know, telling me what I wanted to hear and what I wanted to know and just trying to get the truth. And, but at the end of the day, you know, it was more that I'm at Santa Barbara. So I think if I could give advice, just go somewhere you, where you'll be happy regardless, because if you do that, you'll probably be will, more willing to make something work versus just leaving. And as a player and as a player who's been good and, um, played overseas, got drafted to the G League and just had an opportunity and not playing anymore, you realize that you really just want to be happy and enjoy your college experience. Um, If you can do that with some of your close friends and go to school with your close friends, like do so um, because it'll all work out if it's supposed to. I love that. We're going to get to that ending piece in a second, but I first want to ask you because, you know, you were able to transfer but in a different time, you know, you had to you know, have the sit-out period, right, when you were transferring versus now where, you know, players have a little bit more freedom. What would be your advice to someone who's potentially going to go into the portal and how they navigate that um, and making those decisions? Because if you look at any of the numbers, there's so many players who enter the portal now on a year-to-year basis. It's almost like free agency in, in pro sports. So what would be your advice to a young, you know, a young athlete who is looking at going into the portal and making a move? I would say you have to ask yourself why you're leaving in the first place, right? Um, you have to do the work on yourself first. 
And, you know, kids get a lot of criticism and I wrote the book for, again, for this reason, but um, you never know what coaches are doing, right? Like it's always on the kid right now. And they're like, oh, the kid, the kid, but there's a lot of bad coaches out there. And there's a lot of bad people out there and coaches with control and power that, and kids are helpless at this point in time in their career. They have no voice. They have no guidance. They, I mean, a lot of these kids, you really think about it, they're being told to make life-changing decisions at 16, 17 years old. And you also have grown men lying to them. It's like, how does that even work? Or why is that even acceptable, right? Um, so as a kid and as a student athlete, one, you have to know who you are. And you have to make sure you're doing things for the right reasons. You can't just transfer just to transfer. But what I will always say is if you're the hardest worker on your team and you're complaining about playing time and maybe you transfer and maybe it's not a bad coach. Maybe it is a bad coach and maybe you need to play at a different level or maybe, you know, maybe different school, different situation, different conference. So you have to assess why you're leaving. But I, I truly believe if you're not the hardest worker on your team and you're complaining about playing time, you don't really have reserve the right to say you want to transfer. Uh, you should do more work on yourself. You should actually try to be the best player you can be. And if you've done that, you exhausted those options, then go ahead. Or if, are you happy? Like, where are you happy? And like, if you're just not happy, that's fine to transfer, but understand that, you know, put that out there and go somewhere where you'd be happy and make that decision. And just know that it could be the same at the next spot you go to uh, as far as playing time. But, you should go to a school where you'll be in a more comfortable environment. You'll be happier there and assess why you're playing basketball or playing football or playing volleyball or whatever. You have to assess that for yourself because if you're playing because you love it and you want to play, great. But if you're playing for what it brings you, you also have to know that it, it, there's a price that comes with that sometimes. And you have to understand like what situation you want to go into. So navigating the transfer process is more – about knowing who you are as a kid and as a person, as a player, and what you want out of this whole college experience. And, you know, as kids, it's hard to think about that because in order to get good enough at your sport to play at the college level, I think for the most part, you have to just, you have to want it all. Like, there's no in-between unless you're just that talented. But everybody I knew that made it wanted it all. Like, we all wanted to make it to the highest level. And if we didn't have that drive and pursuit, we wouldn't have gotten where we gotten. Um, some of us made it, some of us didn't. But um, even with that, you realize that, oh, wow, I had, like, you don't really start to understand yourself because you're so focused on the main goal. So um, mm. I would say ref reflect on yourself uh, is the biggest way to figure out that transfer process because you'll be a lot clearer and you have a lot more to look for and if you know what you want, right? I love it. I appreciate that. And so let me wrap it up with the bow because you've talked about being happy. You talked about, you know, accomplishing um, some of the things that you set out to do. You put on a professional jersey, right? Mm -hmm. You made it to the G League, which, you know, uh, I watched that documentary recently that came out and they talk about how it's literally the second best league on the planet. So having accomplished those things, how did you know or how did you make peace with being done, walking away, you know, and, and getting a nine to five, as they say? Um, well, it was the biggest thing. I had so many different experiences. The first overseas, um, it was just different, right? I had to, I got to experience a different culture and I was looking at the cultures a lot when I was over there. I remember 
was my first plane trip over there. I was excited to go. It was Finland. And I had layover in London. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. Because you hear all these overseas stories, like these guys making all this money and they're playing and it's just like the NBA, but it's, you know, it's just a different country, whatever. And like everybody speaks, it, it like everything just seems good. And then you, I get to Finland. So like I had my layover in London, right? And obviously they speak English there and everything's still in English and I understand everybody and what's going on or whatever. Food's a little different, but I'm like, ah, whatever. No, you know, it's still mostly the same. Then I get to Finland and every sign is in Finnish and nobody's speaking English. And I'm just like, what's going on? And then, but quickly I learned, I'm like, wow, what, what a, a spoiled way of thinking that, you know, the world is just going to cater to what I need and with English and speaking English, like this is a different country. So that's just like my first experience. So I really just start to see how other cultures live. Right. So um, I just started to take that in and just see what the difference was and, I really just saw that, you know, in America, we're always work, 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 and that's the most important thing. But in other countries, it's not that way. And I started to reassess, you know, why I was wanting this and what it looked like and um, why I played basketball in the first place. And it came down to me. It came down to it was fun, and my family got to be there and watch me. Um, I got to make more family. My friends, I consider my family just because I've known them for so long. And I'm playing with my family and we're all having a good time. We're doing this together. Like it's a shared experience. When you go overseas, it's not the same. And I'm pretty sure it's the same in the, um, in the league to an extent. Obviously, you're in America, so people are still around. But it can just get lonely, um, especially overseas, right? So uh, I started to recognize that and I started to creep into my mind. It's like, ah, it's not the same. Um, mm-hmm. And then so my goal after that was just to get to the NBA because NBA is just different. and Everybody wants to play there. So get drafted into the G League, um, do the training camp. And it's funny because a lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm better than this player. I can play in the G or I can do this or I can do that. And then it's nothing like playing in that, though. It's just I see the level and see the talent. And it's like it's the first time. It was really the first time I was on a court and I was just like, whoa, I, I probably am not the best player. I have to work to be the best player. Like I've always felt I was the best player on the court, no matter what court I was on in college or whatever. But. When I got there, I'm just like, wow, it's different. I understand it. I'm like, this is only G League. What's, what's the NBA like? Um, <laughs> you just start to see a lot of little things coaches are talking about or what they're telling you, but it's just so different. Because I was a 6'5", 4 man, um, which obviously mm. just limited me at a point. But then I'm going against guys, and I'm seeing 6'10", with 40-inch verticals flying around, and you got point guards who never lose the ball, and you got shooters that shoot. And it's just everybody's at their level, right? Um which is fun. It's, it's a fun game because everybody's at your level. And I just remember just learning little stuff because when you're one of the better players on your team, you kind of guide your teammates to things. But in this situation, everybody already knew what to do. And all the decisions you think about making, you had to just make because and trust that your teammates are making because for the most part, they see it too. Like, right. If you see somebody needs to open up on a down screen, they're opening up every time. So you don't have to wait for them. You got to just throw it. And if you don't just throw it right. it's later, like it's just a lot of intricacies that you see, but, when I was there, I just got a lot of respect from former NBA players or players who were there and they ended up going to the NBA. And obviously, I just had a lot of respect in the basketball community as a whole from, you know, the best of the best, which as a kid, in thinking about it, this is what you play for. Um, and then I tried for a little bit longer. I went to Australia, actually, and then uh, COVID happened. And after that, I was just, you know what, like, I'm still young. I still have an opportunity to switch careers and jump into something else. So 
that's what I did because I just realized I didn't want to be across the water for X plus years. Um, after the NBA didn't happen, I was just like, I don't want to. That's not what I want my life to look like. And I was comfortable with where I made it to and how good I was and what I accomplished. But sometimes you max out and that's okay. I love it. Well, Leland, again, thank you for your insights. Thank you for writing Unveiled because I believe it's a resource that, you know, student athletes and families will, will come to value um, as they navigate the process. It certainly has been that way in our family. Um, and again, I hope, you know, you continue to share. I hope you continue to write more because clearly you got a lot um, that is of value, a lot of knowledge there. So appreciate you taking the time to be on Taking Notes with me and hopefully we can do it again soon sometime. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you liked the book and it's amazing to hear that, uh, get that feedback just because, you know, that's what I did it for. So I'm glad you find it as a resource. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care. Have a good one. How are you too? Yep. Once again, that was Leland King II. The book is Unveil, Question to Ask College Coaches. I'll make sure that I put up a link uh, on my social so that you can access it quickly. Really appreciate Leland taking the time to be with us on Taking Notes Office Hours. We'll be right back in a moment. Dean's Office and who's on the honor roll this week. love to have a conversation in the dean's office this week with the members of the texas board of education that rejected and voted against proposed science books for eighth graders that in their words give too much information on climate change a phenomenon which poses the existential threat to us all i don't care which side of the argument that you're on the idea that you would limit school children's exposure to understanding the crisis means that we get further and further away from a solution. So I would love to have a conversation with those who felt it unnecessary to have textbooks which accurately and fully describe what is going on with our climate and our ecosystem. On the honor roll this week, I want to send a salute to Aaliyah Gales, a redshirt freshman on the University of Southern California women's basketball team for making it all the way back to the court after being shot in 2022, shortly after playing in the Jordan Brand Classic, an elite all-star game for some of the country's best basketball players. Gales, after going through rehab, after being shot nine times and having to go through many surgeries made it back to the court this past week and while she didn't play long just the fact that she was able to stand on the court and dribble out the clock for USC was a triumph in and of itself salute also to USC for honoring her commitment and staying with this young lady and an additional shout out to USC for signing the number one prospect out of California for the second year in a row. So it looks like things are on the upswing for women's basketball in Troy. That's it for me. I hope that everyone has a wonderful 
holiday week, whether you are working to kick off the week or not. I hope everybody has the opportunity to spend some time with loved ones and fellowship over some great food, which is the hallmark of this holiday. I will see you next week on Take Notes with Dr. John Carroll. The views expressed by John Carroll and his guest in the preceding podcast are solely that of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers, companies, or other associated parties.